Thank you, Carson. All right. We're here today for case. Paperwork out. And so we have for uh, appellant, hello, and you're Casey Farrington, is that correct? Yes. Thank you. And then Ms. Boots, will you be assisting in the argument? You're here to supervise. Thank you for calling, yes. All right, and for appellee, we have Alexandria Sense. S-O-N-C? S-O-N-S, Sons, thank you. And Caroline Templeton, are you going to be uh, participating? Supervising. Thank you both for coming today. All right. So you may begin. please the court. This case is about double jeopardy. <coughs> to put it plainly, Indiana cannot punish someone twice for a single offense, but that is what happened here to my client, Frida Starks. Even though she pointed and shot her firearm in one quick movement, the trial court made two crimes out of one when it entered convictions on both level six felony pointing a firearm and level six felony criminal recklessness. These dual convictions violate substantive double jeopardy according to the test our Supreme Court put forth in Wadle v. State in 2020. According to that test, we first consider whether the statutes in question allow for multiple punishment. The state okay, and my client- so let's talk about that. Yeah, the state and my client agree that they do not. Um, and this court has previously held that- Did, did what did you just say, the state agreed? Yeah, the state um, and my client agree that neither levels, neither the criminal recklessness statute nor the point of <coughs> firearm statute um, permit multiple punishment. Um, and this court has previously held as much. Okay, and then, so, but then the court made the sentences concurrent. Correct? Yes, it did. Okay. Um, but that did not resolve the double jeopardy violation because it still entered two convictions. So regardless of the sentence, you're saying when you enter two convictions, for the same, I suppose, facts or crime, it is multiple punishments because you're being punished by virtue of the second conviction. Yes, my client will have two felony convictions on her record and that is objectively worse than having one. And did your client object at, at sentencing or after the trial to conviction being entered on each of the, uh, the matters? No, we did not um, object at trial or at sentencing. However, um, this court has heard these cases um, without the issue having been preserved. Um, it is a fundamental due process issue um, and a pure issue of law that I, this court can review based on the record alone. So um, you're proceeding on fundamental error? Yes. Okay. So the second step of the Weidel test is to consider whether one of the statutes is the lesser included of the other. 
Um, my client maintains that pointing a firearm is factually included within criminal recklessness, meaning that the means by which she was criminally reckless um, included every aspect of pointing a firearm, included every element of pointing a firearm. So in this but can't case- But you, can't you point a firearm and not be criminally reckless? Yes. Um, so why would it be lesser included? Because the greater crime is criminal recklessness, and so more must be proven um, to establish criminal recklessness. And in this case, my client was charged with being criminally recklessness, cr criminally reckless by shooting um, her firearm. And and the state alleged that her. But wait, you have to point your sh firearm before you can shoot it. Exactly. So. Is it pointing a firearm separate than shooting it as in criminal recklessness? Um, in this case, the criminal recklessness encompassed, <clears throat> wholly encompassed pointing a firearm. Making so tell me why you say that. I'm sorry? Why do you say that? Because she was charged with, the criminal recklessness as charged was that she shot her firearm. Um, but I just said shooting it is different than pointing it. Yes. However, um, you cannot shoot at someone, and there was directionality in the charging. So it, she was charged with shooting at two victims. You cannot shoot at someone without first pointing your firearm in their direction. And the evidence adduced at but trial- you, that, that was criminal recklessness was shooting, shooting at two people. Yes, the that's correct. The pointing of firearm was at one person. Yes. Correct. Um, that tracks with pointing a firearm being a lesser included of criminal recklessness. It also reflects the Wait, fact- Wait, you're going too fast. Why does Sorry. that track? Um, because pointing a firearm is the lesser included, and so there is lesser harm alleged. But um, I think you're using phrases that, that, don't, that are too general. Okay. Why is that a lesser included? Because it takes less evidence to prove the pointing a firearm, but the same evidence plus some. Um, to prove the criminal recklessness. Um, Does it matter that recklessly um, shooting at someone is charged differently than knowingly pointing a firearm? So knowing is a higher culpability level. Does that matter? Yeah, our position is that it doesn't. First, because <clears throat> uh, the state admitted in its closing arguments that it believed it had proven the shooting as knowing. The state said, um, knowingly for element two, that's the pointing of firearm charge. Uh, that wasn't an accident. And then it says, Frida knew what she was doing when she pulled the trigger. That's the basis of the criminal recklessness charge. Um, additionally- so where did that come from, Freedom? Would you say, where did that come from, what that you just read? Uh, so that is the state's closing arguments. It's on- But it, that's not evidence. No, but this court has reviewed closing arguments in determining whether um, one charge is factually included in the other. Um, and so it is relevant to show what the state believed that it proved. Um, moreover, it is very common for someone to have uh, done something purposefully uh, that forms the foundation of a criminal recklessness charge, but they are reckless as to the risk of harm to other people. So an act is criminally reckless if um, it creates a substantial risk of bodily injury to another person. And so the evidence shows that my client knowingly pointed, knowingly pulled the trigger, however, was reckless as to the danger she put 
um, Ms. Watford and Mr. <coughs> Coleman in. Uh, and that is reflected in her testimony. It wasn't a two different uh, uh, episodes because she could have pointed the firearm at the person, mm -hmm. but never shot it. So then um, when she shot it, it became another charge of criminal recklessness. The idea that it was two separate episodes isn't supported by the evidence. Um, Ms. Watford testified, before I knew it, she raised a gun at me and shot at me. That seems to show one fluid movement. She said she raised the gun and pointed at me and shot it. Um, and there's other testimony that these actions occurred within seconds, um, all of which lead us to the conclusion that it was one swift movement as opposed to an episode of pointing followed later by an episode of criminal recklessness. <clears throat> but the uh, episodes of pointing and shooting could happen so fast, all right? Mm -hmm. Within a few seconds, mm -hmm. certainly would be understandable, but they would still be two acts just the same, all right? And, and is there any evidence that supports uh, the court's finding that there were separate acts? Because even if you get through, you know, the, they were charged separately, this and that, mm -hmm. we have to have different acts that support it. And I think you're saying this was all the same act. She pointed and she shooted. Yes. And is there any evidence to support uh, the conviction that there were separate acts, even though they might have happened close in time? No. Um, the state pointed to separate parts of the transcript. It, it was simply different witnesses testifying to what they saw. And the fact that there were multiple witnesses describing the same event um, doesn't make it two separate events. If the number of witnesses determined the number <coughs> of events, but if a reasonable inference could be taken, whether mm -hmm. it may not be yours, all mm -hmm. right, or us, uh, on Monday morning after the ball game's over, uh, if a reasonable inference can be drawn for the finder of fact that there were two incidents based on the multiple accounts of the events, wouldn't that say that, that the court should affirm in this matter? Uh, I disagree. The multiple accounts all reflect a single episode happening within seconds. And the third prong of the Weidel analysis um, dictates that if the two actions occurred so close in time, place, purpose, and continu continuity of action as to constitute a single transaction, um, that's the final um, supporting evidence that this was a single crime as opposed to two. Um, and we have Ms. Watford's testimony that everything happened in quick succession. We have Mr. Coleman's testimony that everything happened within seconds. My client's testimony corroborates that. She said that it happened very quickly. Um, well, where does it say it has to happen over a period of time? I'm sorry? Well, I mean, you could be pointing a gun at somebody for 15 minutes mm -hmm. and then shoot him. Mm -hmm. Isn't that two separate episodes? That's more likely to be two separate okay, episodes. Okay, so what, what is your back, what is your, your evidence, or what is your uh, uh, case law or statutory law <coughs> that says it has, if it happens quickly, it's just one episode? So firstly, Wadle itself uh, says that um, the actions in that case happened within minutes. That's a much longer time period than we're talking about. Was that a case? Wadle, Wadle v. Wadle. State um, from mm -hmm. 2020. Okay. Uh, According I, to Wadle, though, you have a three-part test, right? Yes. And do you get to part three of the test without passing part two? Uh, so part 
two and three are technically part of the same part of the test. Um, but yes, you do have to pass every part. And how do you pass part, part two? So part two is um, what we were talking about earlier, that the means by which um, my client committed criminal recklessness con in contained every element of pointing a firearm. And so here she was charged with shooting at Daryl Coleman and Gina Watford. Um, you cannot shoot at someone without first pointing your firearm at them. Um, and so the means by which she committed criminal recklessness therefore included every element of pointing a firearm. And then we get to the continuing crime portion of the test, which also supports um, a finding of double jeopardy in this case. How does it change things when there is one victim in one charge and two victims in the other charge? Um, so something I think is important in this analysis is that the unit of prosecution for criminal recklessness is not necessarily determined by the number of victims. Um, the, what is it? The unit? The unit of prosecution. What do you mean unit? So that is the nut or like the gravamen, the basic actions of that our legislature is intending to curb by um, making this conduct illegal. Um, so that analysis is described more at length in Powell v. State, um, but I think it's relevant here because this court has previously held in Moore v. State um, that the number of victims is not determinative of the number of times someone was criminally reckless. So the base... But, that, but that's not the point. The point is that the, the charges are one and two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, that's, so the, that's the distinguishing part. So I think it supports um, a finding of double jeopardy because the base of the charge is not necessarily the number of victims. Also, the evidence shows... But wait. I'm confused about because it's how it's charged. Yes. Okay. So they charged it as separate uh, episodes, one or two. Mm-hmm. So um, what, why did they become the same? So they became the same based on the evidence adduced at trial, uh, which showed that, just to like set the stage, my client was pointing and shooting at both Gina Watford and Daryl Coleman, who were touching each other. Mr. Coleman was standing in between my client and Ms. Watford. And so there really was no possibility of her firing her firearm and not also endangering Mr. Coleman if she were pointing at Ms. Watford. Um, and so the facts established at trial really support that this was one single act. And we can't rely solely on the charging information, first because it's the prosecution's best guess at what they're going to prove at trial. It's not what was actually proven at trial. And second, um, the issue of double jeopardy is not an issue of prosecutorial discretion. It's an issue of law that lays in the hands of first the trial court and now this court. And so the error accrued when the trial court entered convictions on both um, crimes, as opposed to recognizing that this was one single act, this was one single offense that was only um, deserving of a singular punishment. But she got a singular punishment. So again, although the sentences 
are concurrent, the punishment is still greater than it would have been had one of the convictions been vacated because she now has two felony convictions on her record as opposed to one. She is also um, eligible for alternative misdemeanor sentencing and having one felony on her record will assist in the reduction of this charge. Um, accordingly, this court should vacate or remand with instructions to vacate the pointing a firearm charge. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Ms. Sons? <clears throat> Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. This court should affirm the trial You've court. You've to speak up. Sorry. This court should affirm the trial court because Stark's convictions for pointing a firearm and criminal recklessness are not included as charged or inherently, so they do I'd not still, violate. I still, you'll have to, can you move your microphone to your mouth? I'll just see if mine worked. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is that better? Yeah, steak okay. right into it, yes, thank you. Um, pointing a firearm is not included in criminal recklessness as charged because each charge requires proof of something that the other does not. Pointing a firearm required knowingly pointing a firearm at Watford. Criminal recklessness required recklessly shooting the firearm at or in the direction of Watford or Coleman. Now they were standing close together. Does that make any difference? How do we know mm -hmm. she was pointing it at Watford and not both of them? Um, so on step two of Wadle, um, we just look at the charging information and the statute to determine if they're included. Um, so based on the charging information alone, um, the elements are different. The pointing of the firearm was only pointing at Watford and criminal recklessness <coughs> was recklessly firing in the direction. I know it was charged that way, but evidentiary, mm -hmm. they were standing right next to each other. Mm -hmm. So why wasn't the gun pointed at both of them? So we don't look at the evidence until we get to step three of Waddle. Okay. Um, well, let's assume you pass steps one and two, and let's <laughs> go to that. I think that's what Judge Riley is asking, mm -hmm. and that's, I, I'm of interest in that too. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, all right. So, uh, fortunately, uh, Miss Starks is not a good aim. All right. Mm -hmm. So she aims at uh, Miss Wadford. The other persons in the vicinity fires one shot, it's one act, right, rather than two acts of, of pointing then firing, all right? Uh, how do you not fail the third step mm -hmm. of, of the analysis? Do you get what I'm saying? I do, yes. Right. Um, so the act of pointing a firearm and pulling the trigger are two separate, independent, criminally culpable acts. Um, additionally, the harms that are contemplated by each of those acts is different. Pointing a firearm is a mental harm. It's meant to um, threaten or intimidate, um, whereas shooting the firearm, you're inflicting. So, so you're saying pointing a firearm is an offense, then pulling the trigger as you have it pointed in the same direction is a separate offense? Yes, Your Honor. And uh, do you have a case uh, that says that, an Indiana case where that precedent is held? Mm -hmm. uh, no, Your Honor, I do not. Um, it would seem like the, mm -hmm. the Indiana precedent says those that are are thought to be part of as a continuous circumstance or mm -hmm. transaction, what I just described perhaps, mm -hmm. yes, um, would the, not be. 
The continuous crime doctrine does look at um, the time between the two actions, um, but it also looks at the harm contemplated uh, by both of those. Um, and as I was saying, the harm that's contemplated um, in the pointing of firearm statute is a mental harm, and the harm that's contemplated by shooting um, is an actual physical harm where someone can lose their life, which you don't have in the pointing how of do we, firearm. How do we know that? <clears throat> how do we know that pointing a firearm has mental mm -hmm. complications? Was that part of the evidence? What was the last part of your was question? Was that part of the evidence? Um, the, we, there is case law um, stating that um, pointing the firearm protects against the uh, potential harm. Um, potential harm of what? Uh, the potential harm of, um, of danger. Um, of being shot. Um, but again, in this case, we don't get to step three um, in the analysis because we do not make it past step two um, because neither offense is included as charged or inherently. Um, how, how do you get beyond the statutory definition of an inherent offense, particularly the, the third definition? Mm -hmm. in, and that definition is that one offense differs only in respect to a less serious harm mm -hmm. or risk of harm to the same person, property, or public interest, mm -hmm. or a lesser kind of culpability mm -hmm. to establish its commission. So how does the state get beyond that definition? Mm -hmm. uh, so the two elements that are charged in, um, or excuse me, the two elements in the statute appointing a firearm criminal recklessness are different. Um, they require different things to be proven. So it's not merely um, one is a lesser harm of another. They're um, different, different facts that need to be proven. Um, there are different elements. And what are those different elements? Mm -hmm. uh, so pointing a firearm uh, is the pointing a firearm. And then uh, criminal recklessness is performing an act that creates a substantial risk of bodily injury to another person. Um, and as I was saying, each statute requires proof of an element that the other does not. Um, so neither offense is inherently included in the other. Um, and the charging information as well alleges uh, different elements, so neither are included. If there are no further questions. Well, you know, there's many times you could have criminal recklessness. Uh, I had a baseball bat, and I was swinging it around, and I might be hitting somebody, so that's criminal recklessness. Mm -hmm. But so pointing a gun would be different than other types of criminal recklessness. You know, rec criminal recklessness does not automatically subsume pointing a firearm. That's correct, yes. Okay. Um, we would have to look at the charging information <coughs> and here the, the charging elements are different. Um, one was pointing the firearm and one was shooting the firearm. Okay, so that's your argument that they're two separate offenses because mm -hmm. of the statute? Uh, because of the statute and because of the charging information, yes. The elements are different um, under each, so they're not included in the other. Um, and so there's no double jeopardy violation under Waddle. And if, if there are no further questions. Well, as a matter of fact, I do have an additional <laughs> question. Okay. Not uh, just yet, okay? Uh, but I want to go back to this separate acts, mm -hmm. all right, uh, uh, that we were discussing earlier, and I appreciate your patience, all right? Uh, are you uh, agreeing or conceding that at best the facts under this record are that there was only one point followed by a trigger pull versus a point in a 
Mm -hmm. Is there, and if there is, mm -hmm. in, my, in my second example, what evidence demonstrates that? Mm -hmm. um, I think the facts are ambiguous about that, actually. I'm sorry? I think the facts are ambiguous about that. Um, so in Stark's testimony, she states that she had drawn the firearm uh, two or three minutes before she actually shot it. Um, and that in that two or three minutes, she and Watford continued arguing. Um, now, it doesn't state that she had the firearm pointed for two or three minutes, but there was a two or three minute period where it was out before she shot it. Um, and whose testimony was that? That was Stark's testimony. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't have any more questions. Okay, how about you? I do not. Thank you. All Thank right. you Thank so you. much. I uh, appreciate it. <clears throat> All right, Ms. Farrington. So there are two things I would like to respond to very quickly. First, um, the facts are not ambiguous. Uh, I read you Ms. Watford's testimony earlier um, Ms. Starks' testimony um, confirmed that she shot in quick succession, and at closing, the state didn't argue anything any differently. Um, it says, Frida comes out with a pistol, she points it at Watford with Coleman right in between, she pulls the trigger. Um, second, uh, the state got into the harms contemplated by these statutes. And this um, case was not briefed, but I do think it speaks to this issue. In Brown v. State, this court in 2003 um, expressed the view that the pointing of firearm statute was intended to protect individuals from being placed in a danger of death or bodily injury from the discharge of a firearm. Now, if we look at the text of the criminally, criminal recklessness statute, um, it criminalizes a person who performs an act that creates a substantial risk of bodily injury to another person. That sounds to me like a slightly lesser harm, um, which fits in perfectly within the Wadel framework. It is pointing a firearm is a lesser included, not only is charged here, but statutorily the harms that are contemplated by both statutes um, pointing a firearm contemplates a slightly lesser harm than criminal recklessness. So pointing a loaded firearm carries the danger of accidental discharge, and here my client was charged with criminal recklessness for purposefully firing her weapon. Um, so that very clearly fits, satisfies the second part of the Wadel test. Um, the third part of the Wadel test is also satisfied. Um, my client only committed one offense, and she should only be convicted of one offense. Um, accordingly, I ask this court to remand with instructions to vacate the pointing a firearm conviction. Thank you. Okay. All right, thank you uh, for your advocacy and we'll be taking this under advisement in uh, conferences. Before we come forward with the uh, uh, question and answer period, I'd like to sh once again uh, acknowledge Jeff Drury. 
He's been a faithful a professor here at Wabash, yeah, and has provided us with this forum for years. I want to thank you so much. I think we have some uh, uh, attorneys here from Montgomery County. Is that correct? Okay. Oh, yes, sir. Would you please stand? State your name. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice to have you, Judge. Yeah. They're the ones that, that have all the heavy lifting. Yeah, they're the ones that do the work that may, lets us picket, picket these things on appeal and make sure that we're all following the law. Um, we also wanted to thank uh, Julia Phillips for, uh, she here, she, for the administrative, uh, administrator of the Fine Arts Center. Okay, we'll thank her as we leave. Okay, thank you. We'll be in recess and come forward. <clears throat>